0: Warning, the following episode contains discussions about violent crimes, disturbing events,
1: and explicit details that may be unsettling for some listeners. Please be advised that this podcast is not suitable for young children, and listener discretion is strongly advised.
0: Hey y'all, welcome to Southern Shadows, a mother-son true crime podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Janet, aka Mama. And I'm DK. And each week we're here to bring you a story that takes place in the South. So... Dee, the focus of today's story is going to kind of be centered around baseball, and I know that's your number one sport. How would you describe yourself as a baseball player?
1: You know, I like to have fun when I play, but I'm also a competitor. I like to make the game as fun as possible, but I do think I compete a little more than I have fun, but, you know, there's a balance.
0: Okay. Well, the story I have for you today is about a high school baseball star with a promising future that takes a tragic turn. His father claims that it was a freak accident where he got run over by his own truck, but as we look beyond the shadows of the events surrounding that fateful day, you might find yourself with more questions than answers. I do want to say as a disclaimer that everything that we discuss today is alleged as no one has been found guilty of any crimes. We are, however, going to quote directly from mom Angie, who has given multiple interviews about why she is still trying to find justice for her son. This is the story of Grant Solomon.
1: Let's get into it. Our story takes us to Franklin, Tennessee. It's a town just south of Nashville with a population of about 85,000. It was named after Benjamin Franklin and one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War was fought here which brings thousands of tourists each year.
0: This is where Grant Rhodes Huffins Solomon was born on June 13th, 2002 to mom Angie, a pharmacist, And Father Aaron, a former WSMV Channel 4 news anchor and Merrill Lynch financial advisor. He also has a younger sister, Gracie. Before we get into Grant, I think that it's important to discuss the relationship between Angie and Aaron and discuss their overall family dynamics. Angie describes how she met Aaron in the Murder Diaries podcast. Angie says that she was unimpressed by him when they first met in high school. She even calls him, quote, ugly, weird, short, and gross. But she explains that because she grew up in the Church of Christ, she thought that she had to be good to everyone or she was going to hell. So fast forward to 2000 when Angie was living independently and doing pretty well for herself as a pharmacy technician. She had her own home, two dogs, a Jeep that she customized, All of this while in pharmacy school. She specifically recalls that she went through this phase where she started to feel guilty about certain people in her past that she thought she treated poorly, and Aaron happened to be on top of that list. So she sends him a really basic email that tells him he was doing a great job at work and that she hoped things continued to work out for him. At the time, he was a well-known news anchor for their local news station, Unfortunately, that email was all it took for him to latch on and allegedly begin stalking her. What do you know about stalking? Like, what's your thoughts about it?
1: I know that it's really weird. And it's when, like, somebody just follows a person around or just harasses them when they don't want their attention.
0: Exactly. You hit it right on the head. And in fact, the Department of Justice defines it as a pattern of repeated and unwanted attention, harassment, contact or any other course of conduct directed at a specific person. This can also include unwanted calls, text messages that may or may not be threatening, creating fake profiles to continue contacting someone, following them or showing up wherever the person is waiting outside of someone's class, their home, their job basically just doing things to get to them when they clearly don't want the attention. Yeah, so Angie describes that Aaron wouldn't stop trying to get her to come out on dates with him. He finds out where she lived and he would leave food at her house. So she finally caves in and when he tells her that he'll be working at the next Tennessee Titans game, that she'd come. She thinks to herself, you know, it couldn't really hurt because there's going to be thousands of people there and so she would be safe. After the game, she hangs out with him for a little bit in his hotel room, again, very innocently thinking that she'll just stay a few minutes and leave. She remembers Aaron handing her a Mountain Dew, her favorite soda, and the next thing she remembers, she's blacked out. When she finally wakes up in the next morning, Aaron allegedly forced himself on her and assaulted her. Again, her upbringing drives her to just try to push it to the back of her mind and move on. But unfortunately, Aaron's stalking intensified after this trip. He felt like at this point he owned her and even moved some of his stuff into her house when she wasn't there. She struggles to fight against him and things only get worse when she finds out that she's pregnant with Grant after six weeks. Unfortunately, Angie was also raised by an abusive and controlling father who takes Aaron's side. Allegedly, after a visit from Angie's dad, Aaron comes back to her and says, Your father said that he'd kill you if you don't marry me. She claims, quote, Our marriage was not a marriage of love. It was a marriage of force. Four years later, they welcomed baby girl Gracie. They raised their kids in the very affluent neighborhood of Franklin, Tennessee. On the outside, people thought Aaron was a doting father and loving husband, but the family was hiding a dark secret. The marriage was rocky to say the least. In 2008, Angie caught Aaron cheating with many women and allegedly talking to underage girls. When she confronted him, he threatened that she'd never see the kids again if she told anybody. Aaron was also manipulative, prone to violent outbursts, and very controlling. He would do things like tag along to her hair appointments, and when she started seeing a therapist to address some of the emotional and mental concerns that she was dealing with, he invited himself. Eventually, he would start attending the sessions with her as sort of a couple's therapy. It was there that Angie would be diagnosed with PTSD from the abuse that she endured And Aaron was allegedly diagnosed with narcissism.
1: What is narcissism?
0: So it's a personality trait where someone has an excessive love and admiration for themselves. They might believe that they're more important than other people and think that other people are inferior to them, if you will. And they struggle to understand or care about the feelings and needs of others. So in 2011, Aaron willingly stepped down from his job as a sports anchor, but Angie claims that he was fired due to inappropriate content on his work computer and phone. By 2014, he became a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch. Shortly after, he was allegedly fired for fraud because he forged a signature on a check that he wrote to himself.
1: So how did he have money to do like the things that he Does don't the kids go to a private school too?
0: Yeah, well, allegedly, he had a wealthy grandfather who passed away, and he inherited over a million dollars. Aaron's behavior seems to be growing worse following Gracie's birth, and his rage was primarily directed at Grant and Angie. This is where things get really dark. Angie alleges that Aaron had this rule that no one could give Gracie a bath except him. She started to notice Gracie getting really upset around bath time. And when Gracie was five years old, she told her mom that her father was hurting her and doing some really inappropriate things to her during bath time. Let's just say that no one, especially your own father, should be doing to a child. When she confronted him about it, he again threatened to take the kids away. Fast forward to today, Gracie actually has shared a video where she courageously speaks out about the alleged abuse of her father, which we do have linked in our show notes. And I do wanna warn you that she details some very graphic depictions that could be potentially triggering. But if you wanna know more about what Gracie has gone through and hope to support her, please go check it out. Surprisingly, even her grandparents Angie's parents knew about the abuse, but they still sided with Aaron. As a matter of fact, there were several instances when the couple would show up to court for things like custody hearings. And Angie's dad would speak on Aaron's behalf, basically saying, yeah, Angie is mentally ill. The funny thing, though, is that he couldn't really provide any real facts other than she's mentally ill.
1: So Angie's father was going against her in court.
0: Yeah, the guy who raised her. By 2013, Aaron seemed to be losing control. And one situation occurred where the police were called to their home for a domestic disturbance. The responding EMT remembers that Aaron greeted them and the kids and Angie stayed outside. He seemed level-headed while he told them that Angie was, again, mentally ill. And when they finally were able to speak with Angie, he became more aggressive and even lunged at her in front of the EMT. In another incident on May 9th, 2013, Aaron physically attacked Angie, prompting their son Grant to jump in and stop him. Despite her fears, Angie initially didn't even report the assault, But instead, Aaron contacted the police himself, claiming that Angie had attempted suicide. Allegedly, during this particular incident, there were neighbors who saw the whole thing. So I think that he tried to get on top of it by contacting the police first. Yeah. While at the hospital, Aaron hovered in the room with Angie and would barely allow the doctors to speak to her alone. Fortunately, Angie finally does get to be alone with the doctor, and she confides in him about what was really going on. He advises her to get a restraining order against Aaron, which she did. There's a copy of her medical report from the night she stayed in the hospital that you can find in our show notes. And to sum it up, the doctors agreed that she was in an abusive relationship and was not suicidal. They also reported that Angie was abused as a child by her own parents. The report states that the plan was to move her out of the house and get a divorce. On May 11th, when she returns home from the hospital, she's devastated to discover Aaron and the kids are gone. She calls him, his parents, and her parents repeatedly, but no one answers her calls. She has no choice but to report that her children had been kidnapped. Police originally believed what she said, but then later they notified her that they weren't going to be able to do anything about it. Angie stands by the fact that Aaron's quote, higher-up connections with the police impacted their support for her. With pressure from her own parents, she dropped the restraining order against Aaron. Feeling pretty hopeless and alone, Angie finally contacts a lawyer for help. This is where she learns that Aaron had already filed for divorce and even filed a protective order against her on behalf of the kids. Around this time, Gracie graduated from kindergarten and Aaron wouldn't let Angie come to the ceremony. On May 26, 2013, Aaron finally brought the kids home, but it was short-lived because at 5 a.m. the next morning, he scooped the children up and drove off with them in his car. Angie claims that when Grant realized what was happening, he tried to jump from the moving car. On June 21st, 2013, Aaron was now legally able to take the kids from Angie. The divorce judge rejected the hospital's claim of abuse. Her father even testified against her. Erin gets full custody of the kids and she doesn't see them for six months. She could only see them at sports events. But they couldn't stay with her. I saw somewhere online that the judge who presided over her court proceedings allegedly is part of a church group that Aaron is a part of. And so the couple used to be really good friends with them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot going on there. Yeah. At one of Grant's games, Gracie confided in her mom that her father was still inappropriately touching her in the bathtub. After not being allowed to spend Christmas with the kids for the second year in a row, when she visits Gracie a few months later, she tells her he still abuses her at bath time and shows her bruises on her thighs that she has no idea where they came from. Aaron denies everything, and in retaliation files a police report against Angie for overdue child support, getting her locked up. She felt helpless because he seemed to be in total control. Finally, in 2018, Angie's friends pushed her to talk to school administrators at Grace Christian Academy, where the children attended. She was devastated when the owner and headmaster declined to help, even when she told them that Aaron was allegedly contacting underage girls on social media. A social worker visits the school to talk to the kids, but the investigation quickly ends. No one appeared to be listening to Angie or the kids themselves concerning Aaron. So fed up that they are being kept away from their mom, Grant and Gracie even run away from their father's home. But they're caught by the police and simply brought right back to him. Feeling terrified and alone, Gracie tells her mom in August 2013 that her father held her down and assaulted her in a hotel room while they were away for Grant's baseball game. Ironically, the next day, they had a custody hearing, but the judge refused to listen to Gracie and let Aaron keep full custody of the kids. Gracie's mental health begins to deteriorate to the point that she hides in the school office when her father picks her up one afternoon. She confided in the adults there, hoping to get their protection and support, but they said that she was just hysterical and sent her home with him anyway. At the next custody hearing, The judge reversed his ruling, allowing the kids to move with Angie. But then days later, he reversed it again. Angie recalls that Grant bravely said, It's okay, Mom. If I go with him, he won't be able to hurt Gracie. Regardless of the issues at home, Grant was thriving in school. He was a National Merit Scholar with a 4.4 honor GPA. He was gifted in both basketball and baseball, but baseball was his true love, having played since he was four. Standing at six foot four inches, he played several positions, including second and third base, shortstop, but was especially gifted as a pitcher. He was also being recruited by several division one colleges. According to his profile on perfect game, he was ranked in the top 1,000 in the nation and the top 90 for the state of Tennessee. So for the people who don't know, can you tell us what perfect game is?
1: Perfect Game is one of the biggest, if not the biggest baseball organizations. They provide a lot of exposure for high school players. They have a lot of MLB coaches and and college scouts out there at almost every event they have. They do like showcases, tournaments, and basically anything as far as exposure for the talent of high school players. I've actually played in a couple of Perfect Game tournaments and to be ranked, on perfectgame.com or buy Perfect Game, that's, that's a really big deal.
0: Okay, okay. Well, that's definitely what Grant achieved. And with everything going on though, he became frustrated and asked his school administration for support against his father, but they refused. He even met with Pastor Steve Berger at Grace Christian Church, the affiliate church of the school. But Pastor Berger only continued to praise his father. It seems like no matter who they turn to, everyone seemed to be taking Aaron's side. Things finally started to look up for the kids when they were able to go and live with mom, Angie, but they couldn't avoid contact with their dad altogether. On the morning of July 20th, 2020, the summer before his senior year, Grant agreed to meet with his father to work on some baseball drills. His father had allegedly signed him up for an evaluation at the Ward Performance Institute in Gallatin, Tennessee, about an hour away from Franklin. This was a facility co-owned by a former MLB player, Tucker Ward, who was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2015. It offers specialized training for baseball players and even has a lot of different machines like to evaluate your velo and other skills. I'm sure you're familiar with this, right?
1: Yeah, velo is a big part of baseball nowadays. It's short for velocity and basically all the scouts that come to watch you, that's the first thing they look for. And that's at the top of their list. If you have a high velocity or velo, they, they want you, so.
0: And what is VLO exactly?
1: They basically measure, if you're hitting, they measure how fast the ball comes off your bat when you hit it, Mm -hmm. if you're pitching, they measure how fast the ball comes out of your hand and gets to home plate. Mm -hmm. And it measures how fast the ball comes out of your hand from the field to first base, if you're playing first base. So basically VLO is a big part of the game.
0: Okay, The thing is, though, Grant was rehabbing an injured shoulder. He also had asthma, and apparently he had just been given a new inhaler that he was trying to get used to. You know how it is here in the summertime. It gets really hot and really humid, and if you suffer from asthma, it can actually flare up during this time. In the podcast, True Sunlight, hosted by Mandy Matney, she revealed text messages that Angie gave her permission to use. And they basically show that the entire time that Grant was working on PT for his shoulder, Aaron would often send him messages, memes and tweets related to sports. He even sent him a tweet about a player who got hit with a ball and broke his nose, but continued to play the game anyway. I kind of took it as Grant feeling pressure by his dad and maybe being scared of him and that's why he agreed to show up at Ward Performance, but that's just my take on it. Later, an employee of the facility would confirm that they never had an appointment. At this point, Grant was being recruited by multiple Division I colleges. This was the first time in two years that he would be alone with his father. Angie shared a text that she sent to Aaron around midnight before Grant was coming to meet him, and it says, quote, Grant does not want you to stay during his workout tomorrow. He assumes that you'll be there at the beginning, but he wants to do this on his own. He's a man now, according to True Sunlight. At 8.41 a.m. the next morning, Aaron would place a call to 911 to report that his son Grant had been run over by his own truck. There's a podcast called Going West True Crime hosted by Heath Merriman and Daphne Woolsoncroft, and they covered this story in April 2023. In their episode, they play the 911 call, and it's wild. Aaron appears to be talking to someone or many people while he's also on the phone with the dispatcher. He talked to the dispatcher and those people at the same time, saying things like, Yes, my son is underneath. No, I'm trying to call 911. The dispatcher asks him, is he awake and talking to you? And he says, I don't know. I don't think so. He's not alert, right? Again, like he's talking to someone else. No, he's out and he's trapped. Aaron says that Grant climbed out of his white Toyota Tacoma to get his baseball bag from the bed of the truck in the back. Aaron was allegedly answering work emails in his car. And when he looked up, Aaron says Grant's truck drifted backwards and pinned him beneath, pulling him down the rocky hill and under the truck. On the call, he tells the dispatcher, I've got three guys here and he's trapped under the truck. Again, he is seemingly talking to the other people in the background. Yeah, I'm on the phone with 911 right now. She asks him, Can you check to see if he's breathing? He then responds, Somebody is telling me that he's coming too.
1: Wait, so he's basically talking like he's not checking on his son himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Apparently, there are three guys that are down with him checking on him. But wait, it gets even crazier. The dispatcher says, Now, when he wakes up, he might be really scared. Can somebody go down there and talk to him? Aaron says, Yeah, somebody talk to him. Like he's telling someone else to talk to him. The dispatcher asks, Does he have blood coming out of his mouth? And Aaron says, Yeah, there's blood coming out. They said he's facing up, but he's bleeding from his mouth. Grant, turn your face to the side if you can, barely, but be careful. Again, yelling down to him rather than sitting next to his son comforting him. You then hear sirens approaching and he gets off the call. What do you think about the things that he's saying to his son?
1: They sound really shady to be, And some of these responses seem like he's making them up. I, I don't know, I don't really know what's going on, but I, I definitely know for sure that he's not over there checking. He doesn't seem worried, you know? He just seems like, oh, he'll be all right. But I know if I saw someone's trucks laying on them that, you know, I would be down there helping or, you know, panicking or something.
0: Exactly. And as a mom, I feel like I wouldn't be this calm on the call. Again, you can hear the call on the podcast Going West. Um, I believe it's available just if you Google it, you can hear it. It's it's free to the public. But when I heard it, I was like, if that were me and my child, I would be trying to push the truck off, you know, screaming, crying like somebody get here now. He was just way too calm. And get this. Those three men that were allegedly comforting Grant when his own father wasn't, they were never mentioned in the official police report. They were not seen by employees of the baseball training facility, nor first responders, and they have not come forward to the police. Almost like they never existed, right?
1: Right. Like like I said, it sounds like he was making some of those responses up.
0: Mm-hmm. From the moment Aaron called 911 to the time that they arrived on scene was approximately four minutes. When they arrived, the only people on scene were Aaron and Grant. Also, Grant was found between the front two tires, not beneath the truck, and he did not appear to be trapped. The picture can be found in our show notes, but here, let me show you the scene and how he was found. If the truck rolled over him backwards, His dad claimed that he was trapped here, but he was actually found between the front two tires. Also, the Life 360 data showed that he didn't even make it into the parking lot of Wards, but instead it has him stopped in the driveway next to the ditch. The strangest details about Grant's injuries is that he had no cuts or scrapes or any bleeding from his body, which would have indicated being dragged by his truck. He did, however, have blunt force trauma to the back of his head and some bruising on his jaw. He was bleeding from his nose and mouth, which would have been from the blow to the back of the head.
1: What's blunt force trauma?
0: So it's basically when someone gets hit with a strong, solid object and there's a forceful impact to their body. It's like, you know, when you bump into something really hard, like maybe a truck slowly rolling over you, like what Aaron is trying to prove, I guess. Yeah how many baseball bats do you typically carry in your bag? i
1: will say a normal is probably about two. Usually most baseball bags only come with two slots for you to carry, but you know, some people have like four bats or three bats. It, it kind of depends on what you're doing, but mostly people carry two. It's the wood bat and the bat they use in the game.
0: Okay, so Grant was one of those people who carried multiple bats. And one of the bats is missing and still hasn't been recovered. On top of that, Aaron's account of how the truck rolled, where it faced, and more has changed several times. Angie also finds it weird that Grant grabbed his bag from the back of the truck bed when she knows that he typically puts it in the back seat behind the driver's side. Angie and Grace rush to the hospital to be with Grant and are met by Aaron, but sadly, Grant had already passed. Angie says that, allegedly, Aaron says something to her that makes her extremely uncomfortable. He allegedly says, we're going to be a family now. Something else to note is that Aaron refused an autopsy, so his official death was ruled as cardiac arrest. Remember, an autopsy is a report that can tell you exactly how or what a person died from, yeah, because it's pretty thorough. However, according to the Williamson Herald, a medical report stated that Grant's injuries included a bruise on the upper thigh, a blow to the jaw and a blow to the back of the head. Angie claims that there was a lot of friction building up between Grant and his father in the weeks leading up to his death. Grant had even told his girlfriend and friends that once he turned 18, he planned to go to the court to expose his father's abuse and gain custody of his sister. Something else to note is that Aaron took full possession of Grant's truck and would not allow it to be forensically processed. He had promised the truck to Gracie, but after keeping it for a while, he tells her that he got into an accident and totaled it. In reality, he took it to a junkyard auction and got rid of it. Angie eventually found it later. The Gallatin Police Department called his death a tragic accident, and the case was closed very quickly. His phone is recovered in the ditch near his body, but later it mysteriously disappeared again. The Life 360 data shows that the phone was driving at one point towards Nashville and Franklin. Aaron then claims that he got the phone later from a Good Samaritan, and when Angie gets the phone in her possession, the screen had been shattered. Other strange things continue to happen after Grant's death. The headmaster of Grace Christian Academy, Robbie Mason, and Pastor Steve Berger, and Aaron all threatened lawsuits against anyone who spoke out against the school, the church, or Aaron himself. Aaron even sued Grant's best friend, Wynn Hicks, for speaking out against him. Angie has to hire a private investigator to further look into the death of her son. Aaron even has the nerve to insist that they maintain 50-50 custody of Gracie, but because she was still so terrified of her father and what might happen if she was alone with him, she starts to skip school on the days that he was supposed to pick her up. Finally, Angie and Gracie decide to pursue a restraining order against Aaron. When Hicks and another friend, Anna Smith, even showed up to testify against Aaron in court. The restraining order was granted, but the administration at Grace Christian Academy continued to let Aaron on campus. In May 2021, Gracie bravely came forward with her story of sexual abuse at the hands of her father, Aaron. The opening scene starts with, this is a cry for help. She also talks about why she thinks her father is responsible for Grant's death. And again, you can find her brave story linked in our show notes. As of June 2023, Angie was trying to get an independent investigation opened outside of Tennessee, hire her own private investigator and get an exhumation and autopsy of Grant's body. An online petition to urge action in this case has reached over 255,000 signatures and a GoFundMe to fund, quote, lawyers, private investigators, forensic accountants and more for the family has garnered over $84,000. There's also another GoFundMe set up to hire a lawyer against her father. Both will also be linked in the show notes if you're interested. Aaron denies all allegations against him and has not been officially charged with any crime. A lawsuit filed by Aaron against Angie in March 2022 states that the claims made by Angie that Aaron was sexually, physically, or otherwise abusive to her and Gracie, as well as allegations about his involvement in Grant's death, are false. The most recent news comes as early as January 4th, 2024, A few weeks ago, the Anglican Watch reported that a group of concerned citizens filed a report against Grace Christian Academy, the school that both Grace and Grant attended, for failing to report the alleged sexual abuse by their father. See, Tennessee is a mandated reporting state, which means that even if the school didn't believe their claims, they still had to report it. Also, the school ignored the fact that Aaron was violating that restraining order that prohibited him from coming onto campus, even when other school parents complained. It specifically names the counselor, Amy Curley, as someone who failed to report the allegations against Aaron Solomon.
1: The full list of allegations against Grace Christian Academy are linked in our show notes, but here are a few. GCA received multiple reports that both Solomon's children were being physically and emotionally abused and that Gracie was being sexually abused. Grant Solomon died in suspicious circumstances in the custody of his father, soon after stating his intent to go public with the allegations that his father was abusing Gracie. Aaron Solomon failed to provide adequate medical care and food to the children. Amy Curley was instructed by a court to fulfill her obligations as a mandated reporter of child abuse, but failed to do so. Robbie Mason and GCA ignored a protective order barring Aaron Solomon from campus, thus potentially endangering parents and students. Grant Solomon repeatedly told teachers and his friends that he was terrified of his own father, that he saw his father attempt to kill his mother, and that he knew his sister was being sexually assaulted by their father. Lynn McNatt, one of Grant's coaches, knew of the allegations of abuse. Amy Curley, Robbie Mason and other GCA personnel conspired to cover up Aaron Solomon's abuse of his children. GCA administrators and staff repeatedly engaged in defamation by telling others that Grant and Gracie's mother was mentally ill, a drug user and other outrageous fabrications. Moreover, such claims undoubtedly increased Grant and Gracie's trauma.
0: The complaint has been filed with both local state and other law enforcement agencies it requests that an answer be given by the end of this month so we'll be sure to keep you updated and that's the story of grant solomon do you have any final thoughts
1: yeah there's a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors that needs to be answered and as a baseball player it just seems strange because when you were explaining how Aaron described that he was getting out of his truck to get his baseball bag from the back. I drive a truck as well. And the only time you'll put your baseball bag on the back of your truck is if you have other people riding with you. But if that's not the case, then you always put it inside in the back seat. So that was strange to me, how he put it on the back and then Like you said, one of his bats was missing and he had blunt force trauma to the back of the head. Mm -hmm. That just seems like something happened there that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things that needs to be answered, in my opinion.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us a comment down below or a review on our podcast. Make sure that you like, subscribe and share and be sure to check back next week for the next episode.
1: See you in the shadows.